We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. What's up, Jack? It's a horror Halloween, Nicholas, as Nets fans. Horror. Absolute horror. Yes. Major heartache last night in New Orleans. That loss really sucked. But, you know, we're going to talk about that. We'll talk about the Cleveland game, a little bit of topics afterwards. As always, you can check us out. iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. But, Jack, let's start with last night. Obviously, the Nets blew a big one in New Orleans, 115-117. Drew Holiday hitting the game-winning shot with three seconds left. That whole Solomon Hill getting the tech on Ed Davis. Where do you want to start? Where do we start, Nick? Um Let's start from the start of the game. I guess it just seems logical. Um, I was at a wedding, but I was keeping up with it, obviously, with notifications, checking you on Twitter, and that's Republic on Twitter. And it's nothing but positive signs. Um, I had, you know, quiet hopes just because, you know, we had momentum from that Cleveland game, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And I'm like, this, ho- this should hopefully give us some confidence going into an away game. Generally, you sort of bond in that sort of first game of the season. You know, you sort of have that chemistry, that cohesion, that buzz going. Um, and, you know, great things early from guys like D'Lo. I think, you know, he was fantastic in, in a lot of his performances um, in a lot of his p- performance last night. Obviously, we'll get to the to the bad. But, and even Jared Allen, the way him and Ed Davis were limiting an MVP favorite, if not the MVP favorite right now, uh, it just shows his growth. And, you know, that Pacers game was a, a little bit of a love from him. But, you know, we know what to expect from Jared Allen now. And I've, I've written some pieces on him. But, you know, the Pelicans... Uh, are a quality performer. You said on the outlet that they're a Western Conference final contender. Not a hot take, yes, but not as hot takey because they've been playing some sensational basketball. So it just sucks that it just slipped right through the uh, our fingertips, right through them. 
And you mentioned at the start of the game, I thought one key thing, especially for somebody who gets a lot of criticism, Kenny called a timeout when the Pelicans started the game 8-0. From that point on, the Nets won the first half 66-49. to They went into halftime with, I think, like a 9- or 10-point lead. And like you said, D'Angelo was feeling good, knocking down some threes. You know, Karis LeVert was missing a lot of jumpers, but he's attacking inside. You know, Jer- Joe Harris knocked down a couple shots. Like you said, Jared Allen was great defensively on Anthony Davis. The bench came in. Shabazz had some big moments. You know, the first half wasn't bad. That third quarter quarter that's when things started to get a little rocky you know the pelicans were able to tie the game back up you know they had a big uh, third quarter rebounding wise and then the fourth quarter going to that you know was back and forth back and forth the nets had a solid lead at the end they blew it with a lot of mistakes like they did throughout the second half you know the second half was full of turnovers defensive mistakes there was a fast break situation three on one karis avert alan crab ronde hollis jefferson ends up in a turnover things like that in the second half really killed them and i don't think they're you know we talk about the nets being in a lot of close games a lot of close games they lost them last year they usually weren't on the end where they were up against a great team like new orleans at this point and it really showed in this one yeah, and a lot of those times it wasn't our own fault for losing the game. Whereas, as much as there were little things that, you know, the officials and the Ed Davis uh, situation, this was a game that we lost. Yes. Um, and, and I'm more than confident saying that. You know, like you said, 66 to 49 at, in that first half, we got outscored 49 to 60 in the second half. It was a tale of two halves, uh, essentially. But, you know, we, we you still felt that I still felt relatively confident apart from generally those final two minutes where it all sort of fell apart, whether it was, you know, Coach Kenny had a nice start to the first half. You know, just you scroll through, like, any Nets person's Twitter, like whether it's Nets Republic or yours, and you just see all the positives, and it's just going worse and worse and worse. It's like a horrible story. It's like, you know, Harry Potter just before Dumbledore is about to die. Um, (laughs) It's just one of those things where, you know, um, but hopefully, I I know we, we have to now sort of, try and change and move our mindset from going okay this was a a moral victory of sorts and go look we should have won this and now we're going against one of the best teams of all time we need to bring the juice early and we need to bring the juice for four quarters because i mean it's hard enough in today's day and age to get a win against a top four possible western conference team let alone the best team in the nba hopefully you know the fans come out the brooklyn brigade comes out and you know brings it all against, you know, Stephen Curry and his absolutely awesome ways. But you know, there's plenty of things to take away, you know, 24 hours later. Yeah, I think there – and there is a lot of positives to take away too. Obviously, the turnovers were bad. Like we said, the Nets lost this game. 18 turnovers against a team like New Orleans just isn't going to cut it. But on the positive side, like we said, Allen's defense on Anthony Davis. D'Angelo Russell had some really good moments. You know, obviously that late turnover was bad. The no look at that situation, you always should make sure you're seeing your teammate because if they get Karis Levert the ball in that situation, he's probably either knocking down two free throws or missing one and taking some more time on the clock. Worst case scenario, the Nets are ending up in overtime. Then I also thought from – team defense, a team rebounding perspective, it wasn't bad. And I thought Coach Kenny did a really good job. You know, maybe you could have made some different substitutions with under a minute left, but Jared Dudley was playing well, and Rondé isn't 100% yet, and that would probably be the main argument. But he was calling a lot of good sets. They were doing a lot of things that I really liked from the team. And like we said, the Pelicans are a really, really good team. It's not like the Pelicans from the last few seasons. This Pelicans team, I really believe, will be a top four team in the West, most likely, if everything goes right and they stay healthy. And they did a great job handling them and battling with them in and out. And there were some calls in this game where it probably didn't go in the Nets' favor and they still kept battling. Obviously, that late-game situation. But if you look at it from this way, they're one play away from beating the Pelicans. They're one play away from beating Detroit. That's 4-1. and one. That's beating two undefeated teams in the NBA right now. It's not as terrible as it seems. I know it really sucks to lose games like this, 
but it's not as bad as it seems. You just have, it's just going to be, what is the response, Nick? You know, a lot of last season, you know, we didn't necessarily have the depth of talent with guys like a Dave Shabazz Napier, Jared Dudley to get back and have that sort of maturity and go, let's put it behind us. Let's take the things that we can learn from and implement them in our next sort of streak. You know, we've got the Knicks, we've got the Warriors, the Warriors, then the Knicks, uh, sorry. So hopefully, you know, we put in a good showing against the Warriors. Don't necessarily, obviously, no one is expecting to win. Um, it'd be a miracle. And if it does, you know, it makes up for everything that we've seen in the past, you know, 48 minutes against the, the Pelicans. But we need to make a statement against the Knicks. You know, we had a an up and down performance um, other than really Carol Severs, sort of it's his sort of breakout game. But we need to bring it and sort of go, okay, this it's an 82-game season. You know, it's been four or five games. Now it's just time to go put this behind us. Let's move forward. What can we do that was good? What can we learn from it as a coaching staff and as a playing um, roster? Because there were so many good things. There was a few very bad things that stood out that almost outweighed the good things. But, you know, this is basketball. It's a, it's a cruel mistress. Yeah, and it's it's still young. The Nets are still young. I think they're the 10th youngest team in the league, and they're relying a lot on guards who have got a lot of playing time last year, but they're still developing, still finding that chemistry. You know, D'Lo and Levert aren't always on the same page, and obviously 10 to 15 from the free throw line isn't going to cut it. But one thing I did like is guys after the game admitted to their mistakes. You know, Jared Dudley admitted that that foul with 23 seconds left in the game on Drew Holiday wasn't the right move. He admitted to that mistake. Ed Davis, even though I don't think it necessarily was a bad thing, pushing Solomon Hill was like it was a dumb foul in that situation. And even D'Angelo Russell with the turnover at the end, he said it was all my fault. And that's what you're looking from, from a leadership perspective, from a teammate perspective. I think that's big. And that should help them build off this performance instead of, you know, looking at a negative mark and kind of going down. I would expect them to play really well against Golden State and at least come out and play hard. They might lose the game, but that's because Golden State is ridiculously talented. Yeah, they're just so freaking <laughs> talented. Uh, maybe we can put in a good showing and, you know, chuck up our, our name into the uh, Kevin Durant sweepstakes because, you know, we, we know New York can do some pretty shitty billboards. Um, <laughs> but from the Nets perspective, Nick, you mentioned those three sort of key key moments. What for you stood out to being sort of the nail in the coffin, so to speak. What was the more frustrating moment for you as a Nets fan, obviously watching it live? Uh, I mean, I, I hate to like hate on D'Angelo, but that no look past that turnover, that's just, yeah. you can't throw it out of bounds. You know, just if anything, hold the ball for a second longer. Let Anthony, even if Anthony Davis stole the ball from you, I wouldn't be upset because at least he's making a play to steal the ball, but you just throwing the ball out of bounds with eight seconds left, just time in that situation, just dribble around a little bit. I understand they were trying to move the ball around. They're making some really risky passes. But like I said, I think it's part of the situation where them not used to being up in that situation where they're usually down two or three and make a mistake. And that one just really, I mean, just ripped out your soul after a great performance by him too. You know, five turnovers is a lot. But other than that, the three-point shooting, the feel for the game, he had some big buckets. Just really sucked to see him, especially after the Cleveland performance, which we'll talk about a little bit later, for him to kind of end it all with a turnover like that. It's just like, and you know people are always hating on D'Angelo, so that sucked extra bad. Oh, of course. I mean, we were playing a dangerous game, just, you know, play, playing sort of, you know, throw the ball around and see who can catch it and make sure we can keep onto it. You know, there was an earlier pass that he threw to Jared Dudley where he had yep. to make a semi-athletic play to just keep it in bounds and you know I, I was surprised that Jared Dudley still had those hops but um yeah it was obviously that for me obviously was the same thing I saw the last sort of 40 seconds my boy he was sitting next to me he's like he can tell I was like tense so he got his phone out and he, and he put it on for me and um, I'm almost sort of regretting the fact that I watched it <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. um 
You're bad luck, Jack. We blame you. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, just kidding. It, 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 thanks, sir. Uh, it was. Uh, it, hopefully, this is a thing for that D'Lo learns from because he was so great in so many areas, like you mentioned there. This almost harked back to his sort of first 12 games or last season. You know, the sort of consistency in scoring and being able to facilitate, knowing how to make the right play, just impact in different ways. Yes, the turnovers were were an issue, but for, for D'Lo... I don't mind seeing slightly elevated turnovers, whether it's four or five, if he's impacting the game in other ways. But obviously that one turnover, you know, probably overtakes everything that he did. But, you know, I think Jared Dudley needs to know a little bit better, like you mentioned, Nick, as well. I saw that and immediately I'm like, okay, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt here. 20 seconds left on the clock. We put him to the free throw line. We don't make the two free throws. We're still up. You know, we just hold on to the ball. You know, they foul us. Um... But at the end of the day, you could argue, you could make an argument. I don't think it, it is as was as crucial, but you could make an argument that Joe Dudley should have known better there. He was told yeah. not to do this by the coaches, as Coach Kenny came out and said. So, I mean, a, a young guy on the rise in D'Angelo Russell, an established veteran, who do you expect more from, so to speak? Now, we're going hard on our guys here, but we are generally on the buzz quite... We, we generally give our guys a, a lot of credit, but where it's due, you know, you have to sort of go, okay, this is what they should have done. And Jared Dudley should not have given away that foul. We expect more from him. We spoke yeah. off wax that a guy like Damari Carroll probably wouldn't have seen that from him if he was in the game. You know, would would Rondé have done such a thing? You know, obviously, he's still coming back from injury and probably didn't have the confidence yet, or Kenny didn't have the confidence in him. But, you know, it's these sort of games where you go, what if, what if, what if? It was a... Uh, a tale of what ifs in that sort of past in those final two minutes or so. Yeah, and to harp on the Jared Dudley thing a little bit, with 23 seconds left, that's a lot of time, and that's putting way too much pressure on a Nets team that shot 10 of 15 from the free throw line, a young team not used to being in this situation. Because let's say you do play the foul game, and the Nets go to the line, and they miss both free throws, or they make one, then they knock down a three in the next next possession. You know, I think if you're going to foul in that situation, you at least need to let a little time come up the clock. 23 seconds is way too much. I think if you're under 15, you know, you're in the 10-second range, yeah, you want to foul right away, that's more acceptable. But with 23 seconds, on the clock that's just a lot of time and then there's a chance you're getting in the back and forth free throw game where it's like two free throws there two free throws there you end up missing they end up winning the game where i think it's just especially because you were playing solid defense you know the pelicans are the highest scoring team in the league but the nets are playing solid defense and i would have rather see them just kind of play that one out i know people have different opinions on what to do at the end of the game i'm more and so in favor of letting it play out because getting your free throws for a young team is hard you know yeah and i don't think we have a knockdown free throw shooter I would probably say, off the top of my head, Joe Harris is one of their best three-four shooters. Um, Alan I like Krabs. Spencer for some reason at the line. He just feels like a guy that, that would knock it down. I don't know why. But I think it, yeah, Spencer has that sort of measured, sort of cool aura about him. But if I'm going to anyone, you know, because I think the moment could have flustered a guy like Delo or Karras or whatever, because you know these are, they're still in their infancy in terms of making an imprint on today's NBA, and we're seeing it in you know in, in spurts, mini spurts, but it's coming. Um, but let's get to the positiveness. So obviously, we, we've harped on the, that final minute or so. You know, the, we won't get into the clown that is Solomon Hill. And I'm not using my own words. I'm using Ed Davis's words. But looking at the, the, the box score and such, 19 of 40 from the perimeter, for over 47%. Taking 40 shots and nailing 19 of them is something awesome. Winning the rebounding battle. Um, it seemed to me like offensively, we hit a groove still. Yeah, the pace was there. It almost feels like the Nets should go back to playing at a higher pace. They haven't been playing at a higher yeah, pace. I agree. And 
And you saw it a little bit in the second half of the Cavs game. Like I said, we'll talk about it a little bit later. But the pace in this game really benefited the Nets. And Kenny's talked about wanting to shoot 43s. Well, it worked. They knocked down 19 threes. You know, they're not going to shoot this nice percentage every game. But they did hit a lot of open shots. You know, another guy who had a really nice performance, and this is only his second game back, Shabazz Napier, 16 points off the bench, 6-11 from the field, really brought that energy to the, the team. And that second unit was really impressive, too. You know, you got Spencer, you got Shabazz, you got Ed Davis, you had Rondé out there. You saw Alan Crabb knock down a few shots. Really, this team is super deep, and they're not even 100% healthy. And that's something that will let us sleep a lot better at night compared to teams over the last few seasons. Yeah, I mean, we wouldn't be in this game if we had, you know, a, a couple of injuries last year because we just didn't have that depth of talent. And now we have the depth of talent. It's We feel like you're always going to be in a game because you have that NBA-ready talent. Um and, and as well, I thought Jared Allen, again, Jared Allen, Ed Davis against Anthony Davis, you know, we talked about it um, just before we were recording, to limit one of the most impactful players in today's NBA. You know, you guys talked about it in, in terms of Davis versus LeBron and such. I, I just think that it was, you know, obviously there was that highlight where Davis, you know, dunked Don't on Jared Allen. But I was happy. I'm like, keep going for a Jarrett. You know, the fact he has that confidence to go up. Obviously, he's had the success against guys like Blake Griffin and such. But, you know, there's going to be a time where in the next few years, Jared Allen blocks that. I- I'm-, I'm confident. You know, I'm I'm super high on Jared he Allen. He blocked AD twice last year. I know the Nets got killed in that game, but he did have two blocks on Anthony Davis. And literally not many players in the NBA can do that. I think Jared Allen, from an athletic and wingspan perspective, are one of the few guys that probably can match with Anthony Davis on an okay level. And he's obviously not fully developed. You know, obviously AD probably had a little bit of an off-shooting night, but still you got to give the young man props. Yeah, I mean, it's insane for a guy to have 18, 14, 3, 4, and 5 and still be like, that's a bad game for him. He's yeah, just so yeah. freaking good that when he's not effective offensively, he's just so freaking effective defensively. To have four steals and five blocks, it's it's ridiculous. He's just an absolute monster. But to keep him from 6 of 19 from the field, you know, speaks volumes to our front court. And Nick, what were you saying? I mean, I, I feel like you, you should say what were you saying to me about our center position right now and how, you know, talented it is so to speak yeah i mean if you look at it from this year to last year you know that was definitely our weakest position jared allen was still a rookie he wasn't playing big minutes we had timothy moskoff in there at times Joel okafor wasn't playing well you know tyler zeller was okay and now you look at it and you can get consistent production from these guys maybe not a ton offensively but they still set good picks allen is still a problem with oops against most centers not named anthony davis he's probably having a bigger night and then defensively i think they're probably our best position especially consistency wise with the performance we saw last night and ed davis has really been an exciting player to have on the team you know rebounding wise he's just been a monster you know would i like him to make a couple more layups inside once in a while yeah but other than that i think there's not really much to ask out of the center position if you're not asking them to shoot a ton of threes they've done an excellent job i think they're the perfect sort of center combination yeah that most teams would envy because you want your centers to be you know the defensive fulcrum of your team you know if you you don't necessarily need to have a, a, a lockdown defender but you need to have a guy who's capable around the rim. And we've got two of them. And we've got two, and Jared Allen has improved his rebounding as well. He's still not there, but he's still, you know, obviously a 20-year-old uh, growing into his own, in terms of his own stature, and in terms of his own play in basketball IQ, so to speak. So um, I'm really happy with that center position. You know, I couldn't be happier. Um, I think, you know, Timothy Mozgov, Tyler Zeller, you know, those days are, are long behind us. And, you know, neither of them are playing NBA-ready minutes, yet they were playing minutes for us. So to have the best 
I'm, I'm putting it out there. He's the best reserve center, a best backup center in the NBA, Davis. You know, you can argue Jonas Valanciunas as an offensive big man. You know, Serge Ibaka, he's coming off the bench. But I think Ed Davis is exactly what I want from a center um, in today's NBA, despite the fact you can't make a three. He can rebound the shit out of the ball, and he can set some ridiculously awesome screens. And he provides that little bit of toughness I think you always want from a backup big. You don't necessarily need your – you want your starting center to be enforced or in case he gets ejected or anything. But Ed Davis feels like a guy, if there's a scuff on the court, he's coming to kind of back up his teammate. So that's, you know – that's always something you really like as a, a teammate and as a fan. You know, Ed Davis is already, I think, a fan favorite. I think Shabazz Napier is going to be one of those guys, so shout out to Portland. Jack, you want to talk about the Cavs game a little bit? Obviously, that was a big win. Back to the positive, 102-86. What were your takeaways from that one? Just, It just seemed like, despite the fact that the Nets played really well, Cleveland are pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> I I, mean, I've been, I've been you know, saying that all summer long. I know a lot of people thought they'd be in the playoffs, but you look at this Cavs team, no no playmakers and no defense. Yeah. I mean, literally they made, like they should be called the Cleveland Cavaliers <laughs> because there's, they've got no D. I've made that joke twice now. And it, <laughs> it, it, it gets better every time, obviously. Um, the, Especially with where they're playing too. <laughs> I know. I mean, it works more for them than I think the Thunder. Um, but I think it, they made the Nets look like a really elite team and not to you know downgrade us in any sense of, of the word but we aren't as good as we looked against cleveland um we can't get to the rim at will we can't you know make all these open shots super easily um you know i think it was just one of those games where it, it was sort of where we're supposed to win sort of like what dealer was saying against the knicks but we sort of actually made the statement and go okay this is what we're supposed to win and this is how you do it you know it's nice to sort of get that first sort of Dominant performance out of the way. D'Lo get a, a little bit of juice again. And then obviously see Shabazz Napier uh, pull on the black and white for the first time. You know, it was just a, a lot of good things. You know, there weren't really uh, many you know, negatives, so to speak, other than maybe Alan Crabbe's performance. Yeah, I think even you, if you want to look at negatives, I think the first half, they missed a ton of layups. So this game could have been a blowout probably in the second quarter. I would say just off the top of my head, I remember Karras, D'Angelo, Jared Allen, all missing easy layups that they hit on a regular basis. And then in the third quarter, they just turned on 38 to 17. Like you said, they were knocking down from three. The ball movement was great. They just took the energy out of Cleveland and that entire arena. To get a win on the road like this early in the season is big, and that was a big reason they were in the game against New Orleans last night. And overall, this was one of the better, if not you know, the best games you've seen from D'Angelo this season. Just obviously we're only five in, but he was really controlled. His shot wasn't necessarily going down as much as it was against New Orleans, but 18-8, and eight, and he just had a really good feel for the game. Yeah, it's essentially what we predicted and wanted from him in our season preview series when we were doing D'Lo. 18 and 8, 17 and 7, those are the sort of numbers that you know where D'Angelo is having an impact all across the all across the floor. So um, I I liked it. I mean, 102 to 86, you know, in today's NBA, that's almost like a, a, a three-quarter score. Um, yeah, but, it really is. Um, it, it was nice to sort of see just so many elements of our game similar you know, just to the Pelicans game, you know, we were good from the perimeter. You know, we were decent rebounding. Obviously, we didn't win it. But uh, for me, when, as long as we're around, we're not more than 10 rebounds off our opponent, I think that we've done fine because I think rebounding can be a little bit overrated. Obviously, it depends on the, the lineup. percentages too. It's, yeah, it's, it's going to be about the pace and the shooting percentages, I think. How many possessions can you get? I mean, that's I like it when we push the pace a little bit and when we just make plays early in the clock. And I think that happened quite a bit. You know, some really some no look passes from D'Lo. Uh, I think 
he does it in a way where it's like he it, it takes too long, but it's almost in slow motion where the team should see it. But it's still uh, it's just very pretty to to see him do it, and I hope that he continues his on court play um, and he continues to to grow and hopefully learn from the mistakes he's been making. You know his turnovers are always going to be an issue, but that's an issue with any guard in today's NBA. But yeah, the Cleveland performance, you know, to keep a team to seventeen points in the first and the third quarter. In today's NBA, it's almost unheard of. I mean, unless you're watching the Thunder and Celtics first half, <laughs> you know, it's just uh, unheard of to, to keep a team. And despite the fact that Cleveland are one of the poorer teams in the NBA, they've still got, you know, a, a bona fide all-star in Kevin Love. And they've still got, like, sort of guys that you sort of go, these guys have been around the mark. Jordan Clarkson, George Hill, Tristan Thompson, J.R. Smith. They know how to play NBA basketball. They're, they're vets, so to speak. It's just that there's no cohesion there. Colin Sexton is... Um, you know, growing and sort of finding his own. And it's just a, a, a bit of a mismatch when it comes to how their roster is compiled. And, you know, Ty Lu obviously isn't the best coach in today's NBA. But, yeah, I think it was keeping Kevin Love to, like, one shot or no shot in the third quarter. It, it, it's insane to think that, you know, when you're running an offense through him, like, those were, those are the sort of things you would see happen in him back in the LeBron and Kyrie days. But, you know, this is your guy. Like, surely you just run it through him and, you know, just give him the ball and feed him because he is ridiculously talented offensively. But him to 14 points, four of nine from the field is a, is a pretty good night from our bigs as, again. Yeah, no, good night from our bigs, good overall team defense, and also partially on the Cavs, just not doing a good job of getting him involved. And I think that's on the team, that's on the coaching. Like you said, they're just not a very good team at the moment. I also thought this another, uh, the bench unit came in, had some good minutes as well. Also nice to see Moose out there for a little bit in garbage time. It's always fun to see some of these young guys get some opportunities. Also surprised you didn't shout out your boy Joe Harris. He likes to get revenge in Cleveland. He doesn't forget that they dropped him. Yeah, 16 points, 6 and 9 from the field, 4 or 5 from 3, 6 rebounds, 2 assists. You know, I really like what I saw from Joe in that game. And Jared Dudley had a nice shooting game, 4 or 5 from 3. You know, overall, like you said, just a really good performance. Not a super ton amount to take away because, like we said, the Cavs aren't great. But it's nice to see the Nets taking care of business. And maybe they can do the same thing against the Knicks on Monday. It is a little different because the Knicks do play extremely hard and they are a cross-down rival. Yeah. Um, on Harris, Nick, has he solidified himself as a starter? I think he probably has, especially with the way that Crab is playing. I think right now, unless Alan Crab were to get himself back in sync, I think Joe will stay in that starting lineup. Obviously, Crab in that game, 0-7, 0-3 from the field, some bad shots. Even last night against New Orleans, he did hit some more shots, but his jumper just isn't looking quite as smooth. He just doesn't look right, and he doesn't look as confident. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. It, it happens just to be like deja vu, same story all over again for 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 Crab. Um, but thank God for a guy like Joe Harris, Joey Moses, the power of the beard. Don't shave it, Joey. It's giving you all your powers right now, and it looks bloody good, despite what anyone else tells you. Um, yeah, he's been awesome to start of the season. Uh, it's just when you want that guy to make a shot, and his form is awesome. He just gets it off like quick as. And I think these. You, we talked about, um, you've talked about before, like a guy like a JJ Redick and how this sort of new NBA in terms of how the officials are sort of, you know, almost calling anything. It helps out the three-point shooters and it helps out a guy like Joe Harris who can just sort of shoot it with confidence and know that, you know, if he, you know, gets even the slightest amount of contact, he's going to get to the to the free throw line. But, and he has just a, his game is just so consistent and, you know, two years, $16 million. Let's lock him up for the max already. But <laughs> quick little tidbit, Nick. In terms of Ed Davis and Shabazz Napier, early on, early on, obviously, but I'm not as confident on the next the the Nets in landing a superstar free agent. 
what are your thoughts on just re-signing those two to sort of semi-capable, um, semi-decent contracts, you know, uh, short or long-term? I will have to double-check. I'll look it up right now. I think Shabazz actually is has a non-guaranteed contract for next year. So the Nets should be good on the Shabazz front. Ed Davis, I think they might get some competition for Ed Davis because, you, just, you know. You expect it, yeah. Yeah, you expect it. And to confirm on Shabazz, yeah, he is on contract for next year. So that's great for the Nets at 1.8 mil. That's a major steal because the way he played Absolutely. last night. And, I mean, I just love his hustle, his toughness, his little grit. Larry Nance pushed him in that game. He got up and he was trying to shove him. Like, and he can stop on a dime. I can see why the Nets were very cautious about trying to bring him back because the hamstring wasn't right. You know, the way that he can stop and go, definitely very impactful. He could finish really nice in that Pelicans game. Ed, I think if he vibes really well, the whole Nets team, obviously Shabazz and Alan Crabb being there, and it seems like everybody really loves him and he seemed like he likes Karis LeVert. No, hopefully they can keep Ed Davis. I would be very happy about bringing those guys back, even if they sign a star or if they don't. Yeah, you, you can add other sort of pieces around them. Obviously, free agency was one of our major storylines when we were forecasting the season ahead. But you don't necessarily have to go out and make a big splash. I would much rather us, you know, not necessarily sign Tobias Harris to a max contract and keep Shabazz Napier and Ed Davis for manageable contracts and see what we can do like with this team next season because the internal growth we expect from uh, the continued internal growth we expect from you know Levert, Russell, um, and Allen, if they were all still on our roster, you'd expect most of them to be. Then you know you could expect you know another jump, you know, similar to a Pacers or a or a Philly or a you know Milwaukee, or all these sort of little things can happen. But you know it's still a long way away, and I, I think we're more focused on getting our, our, our third win of the season. That's more important to me. Yeah, and talking about that, um, you want to talk about Jared Allen. I know you brought this up to me a little bit. Where does he kind of stand in terms of NBA centers, of guys that you would definitely take over Jared Allen if you, we want to go down the list? Yeah, I mean, I did a piece for OKGBasketball.com, our uh, T series, about you know Jared Allen will be a top center by the end of the season. Uh, it's a, Right now, the center is almost as stacked as it's ever been for me. Um, he's an awesome player and does everything you want a modern center to do. You know, he shoots the ball, he can defend. He's not a sieve when it comes to against the sort of smaller guys on the perimeter, but he still has a ways to go in terms of his offensive game and in terms of just his general sort of ability to impact the game consistently. You know, the floor that we want, you know, when you see guys have bad games, you still want to see them be able to impact. But when Jared Allen, obviously being a young guy, is having a bad game, he has no impact. So for me, he has to sort of be able to get his floor and his ceiling closer to each other. Um, I would say even when he has a bad game, though, I think defensively this season, he's still having an impact with his shot blocking. Offensively, he's had games where he kind of wasn't effective at all, like against Indiana and rebounding wise, he hasn't been effective. But I think that rim protection is really starting to take notice around the league because you've seen guys this season, even when he doesn't block the shot, miss their layups because Jared Allen is around. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I put in the fact, is he a top 10? Is he a top eight? Is he a top five? Now, right now, Embiid, Jokic, uh, Jokic and Gobert are in a league of their own. Carl Anthony Towns, I'm not sure what to think of his start to the season. And then DeMarcus Cousins as well. Where is he going to be when he comes back? And then I think that, you know, he has, uh, I think Horford's probably up there as well. But then I think, like we've mentioned plenty of times in terms of comparisons, he has the ability to be in the sort of realm of guys like Capella, Adams and such. I think he has, this might be hot takey of sorts, but despite Andre Drummond's ability to put up numbers and such, I think he impacts more as a, as a player on the court 
than a guy like Andre Drummond does. We saw what Blake Griffin did when, without Andre Drummond, and I think Blake Griffin is a better player, more impactful player um, in today's NBA than Andre Drummond is. And I think Jarrett Allen is as well. Um, I'm not saying... I think when you want your center to be more capable defensively than offensively, and I think Jared Allen is a way better defensive center than Andre Drummond. When it comes to offense, guys like Cantor, guys like Drummond, certainly you can make an argument that those guys are way better than him on the offensive end. But um, in terms of the skill set that you want from your five, I think Jared Allen gives that to you and he sort of makes up for it in a lot of other ways. So top eight, um, maybe. Um, uh, but I, I'll, I'll reserve my judgment, sort of like I was a bit tentative as I wrote the piece for OTGBasketball.com <laughs> um, till the end of the season, because, you know, as I, I mentioned it with the, with Zach and you on the last pod, he's still only 20 in that uh, insert SpongeBob meme. <laughs> yeah, no, but like you said, I think there's potential to get in that top 10 this year. I think right now he's probably somewhere between that 10 and 17 range. A little bit's going to depend on a matchup for him. And like you said, he does have a big impact on the game when fully into it offensively, even if he can knock down a three-pointer. We've only really seen him shoot corner threes. It'll be interesting to see if he could develop any type of three from above the break, you know, especially at that top of key because teams haven't really been defending him as much up there. Also, very nice pass last night in the, uh, the high post through a nice little bounce pass to Karis LeVert resulted in a dunk and one. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Jared Allen get a couple of play sets where he's making a pass, setting up his teammates a little bit, especially with teams playing off him so much. It doesn't really require him to make an outstanding pass. Yeah, his handle isn't horrible, like by any stretch of the imagination. You, you don't feel like, oh, get it out of his hands. Like he's not, you know, necessarily going to like just turn it over on a, on a whim. So I think that there are so many different elements of his game, like you mentioned, Nick, that, you know, have room for growth. All of his game has room for growth and there aren't many weaknesses to it right now. Um, it's almost like, you know, if he reaches his full potential, we're going to see a very special player. Yeah, definitely. I'm real. Obviously, we're super excited and it's still only five games in the season. I think, Jack, before we get out of here, let's talk about one more thing. What have you liked so far from the guys who are turning from injury? You know, Shabazz Napier, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. What are your thoughts on those two coming back? I mean, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson just gives you everything. You know, I, I think there's no other better way to describe Rondé. It's just that he is the perfect Nets guy. You know, he rebounds, he passes, he gets a bucket and he just has energy and he provides... Uh, an intangible quality to this Nets team that sort of seeps through the rest of the squad. It gives everyone else that little bit of energy, that little bit of juice, like you like to say, Nick. And mm -hmm. Shabazz, I think Shabazz gives us a different sort of element on the defensive and offensive end. Yes, he's only six foot six one, but we talked about on our last buzz about being able to force turnovers. Because he has that sort of low center of gravity being a shorter guy, he can reach in a little bit. And he's got this quickness about him. And he allows us, I think, he fits well in sort of pushing that pace a little bit. Um, he's just provides so much, a, a nice element of speed, a nice element of toughness, like you talked about with that Cavs uh, moment against Larry Nance when he was sort of trying to inbound, um, save the ball. I, I'm just really... Uh, uh, the fact that there were so many other teams that you know uh, could have used a guy like him, like the fact that Orlando, the fact that Phoenix didn't sort of go or like give him a little bit more money, you know, give him one year five million dollars. What how's it going to hurt you? But we've got now this you know glut of guards, but I don't say glut in in a negative way in any sense of the word. But it now allows us to go okay if Spencer or, or D'Lo are having a poor night, chucking a guy like uh, uh, Shabazz Napier, I think he's going to. He's going to be very consistent in what he provides for us this season. 
Yeah, just another option for Kenny. And also, shout out to Spencer. He's done a really good job just working in his different role this season, not being the guy he had to be last season and really fitting in. I really like what I saw from him. But the touch on Rondé, too, like you said, that energy, he does look a little bit bigger, too, a little bit like he's been hitting the gym. And I think I'm excited to see him back with that energy. You mentioned Shabazz kind of helping out in transition a little bit, maybe getting the fast break going. I think Rondé could kind of do that, too. So I think that's the thing. You know, not only pace we want to see picked up, I really would love to see the fast break points picked up a little bit because right now there's just not enough. I think the one thing that prevents us with the fast break points is because we gain rebounds rather than sort of having one or two guys under the rim of like, you know, whether it's the point guard and the center or just a forward and, and, and a point guard. Whereas it, it doesn't allow other guys to get out in transition so we can sort of feed that transition pass like sort of Trey Young did the other night with a guy like Torian Prince, which was one of the prettiest passes I've seen all season. And we have guys that can make that pass. You know, Dilo can make that pass. It's gorgeous, but, you know, Dilo likes to slow it down a little bit. You know, Spencer's a little bit more measured. And when you have three, four guys under the rim, you know, you can't necessarily push the pace as much. So it's going to be about, you know, rebounding affects that uh, to an extent as well. Not negatively, not positively, just like as, as just a general observation. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And I think, you know, maybe not as much from the rebounding perspective, but uh, more so from the perspective of they need the forced turnovers. Right now, I, if it's updated on basketball reference, they're 29th in opponent turnover percentage. Last year, I think they finished last. They need to improve in that area. They're also last in turnover percentage on their own. So the turnover battle is something if they want to make the playoffs, they want to push this season, that's going to be an issue for them. If they handle the turnovers against the Pelicans in Detroit, like we mentioned before, they'd be 4-1 right now. Turnovers is a major problem for them, forcing them and committing them themselves. Yeah, and I've, I've talked about it for Nets Republic in plenty of pieces. It's not necessarily about, you know, getting rid of the turnovers that are just like, you know, you know, travels or just bad calls or or whatever. It's the ones like D just giving the ball back. Just the, stupid like we saw against Indiana when we talked about with Zach as well, where you're just literally handing the ball back to a team and it allows them to get easy buckets in transition. Um but it, it's gonna be a consistent thing for us all season Nick. Um, but uh, I'm confident in the fact that Coach Kenny showed some nice things, and I think that this team is starting to gel. You know, the wheels are starting to move in motion, um, and there's plenty of other sort of, you know, uh, analogies I could use to describe the Nets right now, but uh, I'm seeing some good things, and hopefully that starts to finally translate onto the win-loss column. Yeah, I mean, they're still a young team. We're not expecting – they weren't predicted to be a playoff team. They weren't predicted to get a top-four seed or compete in the East or anything like that. I will say they're playing good basketball minus their turnovers, and they're playing hard. You know, they're playing better than they were last year at this point, and there's just that mistake, and the underlining issue is still the turnovers, and that's something they're going to have to clean up, and we'll see what happens the rest of the year. But, Jack, any last thoughts before we get out of here? No, nah, guys, just make sure you stay tuned to Nets Republic, OTGBasketball.com. There's always going to be plenty of Nets content there and plenty of other awesome basketball content. You know, they're your one-stop places for NBA basketball content. For sure. And make sure you check us out. iTunes, Bob Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. And uh, go Nets. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.